Good morning, and welcome to an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre, or as it very well might end up being, an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Uh, my name is B. Peterson. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm the creator of The Screen's Margins. And with me as always are... Uh, I'm Anna Campion. My pronouns are she, her, and I co-host Fresh from the Margins with the lovely Bee. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's our new releases podcast. Um, I'll just start out with a little bit of context. Uh, this episode, if you're listening to it on the critically acclaimed uh, uh, channel, um, then so this this episode was recorded in three separate recording sessions, um, one with each of my co-hosts, um, in an effort to streamline the conversation since they're all virtual. I didn't want to have like three people, four people talking over each other because of ping and all that lag and stuff. Um, and, and also I just wanted to allow each co-host to discuss whatever they liked for as long as they liked, uh, uh, free of any pressure. Uh, so what you're hearing on the Critically Acclaimed Network, um, has been edited together into one large and yet significantly shorter episode, I imagine. Um, and all three uncut, uncut episodes, which will amount to anywhere between three and six hours, um, are available, um, on our Patreon. So just start off with there. But um, but so yeah, before we get into just uh, discussion about whatever, I, I just kind of want to get some background. Um, and so my first question would be is, uh, what is your background with this film, My Dinner with Andre? Never heard of it once in my life. Never heard of it once in my life before you mentioned it. I uh, Really? Okay. Nope, never heard of it. I am, so I I am familiar with Wallace Shawn, as any good American is. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, fun fact, I actually met Wallace Shawn once. Really? I did. Tell me about that. I was 13, and I, for my 13th birthday, my mom, my mom and my godmother, Kay, took me to, um, New York for my 13th birthday weekend, and we went to see Wicked, and, you know, went to the M&M store, and, you know, yada yada, all that stuff, and, um... My uh, Kay has a good friend who she went to college with named Colleen who works in sort of like the media industry and she she lives in New York and at the time she lived in New York so we uh, we met up with her for like lunch on one day and um, she lived in Chelsea at the time and you know she was kind of walking me around and showing me around Chelsea and for those of you who don't know Chelsea is like a very nice neighborhood in Manhattan um like Chelsea's okay. where like John Mulaney and his wife live um it's uh like a lot of celebrities live in Chelsea and uh we were walking and Wallace Shawn walked past us on his way to a diner and um Colleen was like that was Wallace Shawn come on and like basically took my hand and like we ran after him into the diner and then she like pushed me into him and I was like I was familiar with his work mainly through Princess Bride and I'd imagine also Clueless since you're such a huge Jane Austen fan right well I don't think I had watched Clueless when I was 13 I think I oh okay. I, yeah I don't think I uh oh that's right this was that a long time ago. okay yet. I'm also pretty sure he did a lot of voices in animated movies like The Incredibles and stuff oh, like that that I really liked. Yes. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big Bob. Wallace Shawn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big Wallace Shawn fan. And so I, like, Colleen, like, pushed me to up to him. And I was like, hi, my name's Anna. I'm a big fan of your work. I love you. I'm Princess Bride. And he was like, oh, thank you. And then, you know, shook my hand or whatever. And then went to go sit down. He was very nice. 
So that's my experience with Wallace Shawn, but I'd never heard of this movie before. Okay. And and then so and then I then the second question. So, in addition to Wallace Shawn, the other two main players in this film, do you do you do you know anything about Andre Gregory or never, the director Louis Malle? Never heard about, never heard of them in my life. Never heard okay. of them in my life. All right. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll just throw it. So my experience with my dinner on, with Andre, it's a film that once I had started getting into film, it started to pop up in various, like, you know, it kind of, it's one of those films out in the ether of like, it's the movie where it's just two people talking over dinner kind of thing. And I'd never really gotten around to seeing it. And then, uh, finally <laughs> last year when, uh, uh, Bibbs and Whitney, uh, decided to, or they, they, uh, reviewed it on their critically acclaimed streaming club. Um, I was like, okay, before they, I listened to their conversation about it, I finally might as well get around to seeing it. And it was on the Criterion uh, uh, channel. And so I watched it and I thought, I was like, oh, this is very interesting. And and that conversation between Bibbs and Whitney was the inception of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, but, and then as for Louis Maul, Wallachon, and Andre Gregory, I hadn't seen The Princess Bride until last year. Um, and I really only saw it because of the Quibi, uh, the home movie, The Princess Bride, uh, because I was really interested in Quibi. Right. Uh, but, uh, and yeah. And, um, as for Andre Gregory, never heard of him. Uh, and as for Louis Maul, the director, I actually had seen, um, one of his films before, um, though I didn't know it was the same director. Um, his, his, uh, feature, his narrative feature debut was, uh, one of the first films in the French new wave called Elevator of the Gallows. And the reason I saw that film is because it has a score. The score to the film was an entirely improvised score by Miles Davis, Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of my favorite film scores, period. But anyway, so that's my background with uh, with those guys. Um, and then and then I wanted to ask, since it is uh, relevant, it is one of the main topics that the that Wallace and Andre talk about in the film is I'm curious as to what experience you might have with uh, theater. Um, like, have you ever I think, been part of it? Well, I think fan of it. I think we've talked about this on Fresh from the Margins before. I don't like theater. Right. Um, I the most I ever did with it. Um, I had to take an introduction to theater class when I was in college as part of my film major. Um, and you know, it's interesting because I actually do really like plays, and I'm a big fan of like Shakespeare, and um, like I really like. Things like, you know, I like The Crucible, I like Death of a Salesman, um, I like Henrik Ibsen stuff, but um, for whatever reason, the actual, like, theater experience, I find so fucking unbearable. Um, I I can't stand it. <laughs> um, and I, you know, when I was in college, I had to go watch, like, William & Mary, you know, theater department you know, productions as part of, you know, like I had to do them and I had to write, you know, like a, like a two paragraph reflection on them or whatever as part of the class, which makes sense. Um, and I remember there was one play I liked that was kind of like cool and interesting, but I think my main beef with theater is I find the people who do theater to be some of the most self-congratulatory people on the planet. And like, they, they think that they are doing like God's gift and (laughs) like doctors exist i I don't know it's just like it feels of of the sort of um 
I guess, media world, like, and, and the art world, I feel like, mm-hmm. to me, theater people, like, the theater people I've interacted with um, are generally the most unbearable. As opposed okay, to, like, well, a musician. As or a, a theater person. No, I... <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, that's just my, you know, I... I, like I said, I did see Wicked on Broadway. I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just, like, there's something about theater that I really resent as, uh, like, a middle-class person, which is that I find theater to be one of the most inaccessible media, like... Mediums, yeah. yeah. of today. Um, mm-hmm. And I think to... I, I think, I mean, and we can get more into it, but I think that there's like a very like, um, theater's raw. Theater's about like seeing the truth. Theater's about doing this and that. And I'm like, mm. okay, yeah, except that it costs like, you know, 500 bucks to go see a play. <laughs> like right. it, it, if you want to yeah, see one like in that, New York. Those, those tickets for Broadway weren't cheap. No, and I'm sure, and I think we got them from like, you know, a lottery system or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And like, don't even get me started on, on Hamilton. But um yeah, so I find I find the um I, I guess I find the like self-righteousness and like congrat self-congratulatoriness of theater people to not line up with what theater actually is in the twenty first century. Okay. Um well I, I certainly I, I certainly get that perspective. Um I just I guess for me I mean, I, I would consider myself, I, though I'm not active in it right now for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. um, I would consider myself to be a theater person. And I think that a large reason why is because of how I got into it. I initially got into the high school drama program at, at my high school um, because I wanted to it was it was the closest thing to movies that I could get at this at at, at my high school um, and I like I want to direct a play and mm-hmm. kind of thing and and what theater ended up doing for me is one it taught me a little humility and that I am not in charge of things mm-hmm. um, and that if I am if I am not directing a play then I just kind of have to listen to the director and and um, and while some input is appreciated, it is not my place to give it. Um, and two, theater taught me how to be. It 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 gave me a family that I was severely lacking in in my educational space. It was for a long time just kind of. Um, well, I I grew I was I have a unique education experience in that I was part of a two way dual language program, and so I was brought up with the same fifty or so kids, for eight years of of my schooling the first eight years from kindergarten to seventh grade it was the same 50 kids that i spent time with every single day at school and when i got to high school and the program ended i kind of lost that and so theater was a new kind of found family and the third reason why i love theater is because it was there that i learned that maybe i shouldn't be homophobic and transphobic and that and being around these people is like oh wait i am queer so yeah. there is that's that place and and where theater allows people of of various different identities to come together. Yeah. Um and and to just resp- the the thing that really um got me so attached to the theater at my high school was that um our high school where we're 
incredibly underfunded um, Pasco High School is um, in East Pasco. Um, it's a majority uh, Latinx, Latina community. And so we, with our plays, um, we pretty much had like the same five pieces of cardboard and and plywood to work with on all of our stuff. And we had a very limited like costume selection and all of our and we could only do the the cheapest plays. We never got to I never got to do a musical because we couldn't afford rights. Right. And and so and especially when right across the river at Hanford High School, they had six six plays a year and two musicals, each of them with like a ten thousand dollar budget. I guess I the theater that I was a part of was this very like, hey, we're just a bunch of kids who like a lot of us um, um, in our home lives, we don't have access to this kind of, of art and we can just come here and we can work together on telling stories um, in our own way. And so I, I, I have that's I guess that that kind of theater still exists. It just it's not the mainstream type of theater. Mm-hmm. And so I totally get that 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 kind of rejection of of the uh, the theater elite as it were yeah 100%. Um, so since you find uh the theater elite to be so insufferable i'm guess i'm just i guess that leads me into the question is did you like my dinner with andre no i fucking hated this movie this is um <laughs> i think i tweeted this but this it doesn't happen often but you know obviously i like i just as i just mentioned i uh you know I am a film and media studies major. So, um, you know, I went to a liberal arts college, so I'm not a traditional film major in that I didn't do a lot of actual, like, filmmaking. I wasn't, you know, making a ton of, like, really interesting, cool student art house films. A lot of what I was studying Mm -hmm. was film and media theory. So I took a lot of films where I studied, you know, things like Laura Mulvey and um, Roland Barthes and uh, The Panopticon, which are all, uh, you know, if you're interested in media, uh, like M- Laura Mulvey is kind of the person, one of the people who came up with the male gaze. So that's like, a, she's a very influential um, right. sort of uh, thought leader in that. Um, and then Roland Barthes is just an absolute genius. Uh, and, you know, kind of talking about uh, simulate, simu- simulation versus stimulation versus a uh, simulacra and, you know, kind of that stuff. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it. And um, because of that, um, I got a really pretentious view of film and I often would buy into it. Um, and so now when things like, you know, the Oscars or the Golden Globes come out, um, you know, I have a really strong opinion about quote unquote critically acclaimed films. And, you know, that's why I'm on this movie podcast. That's why, um, you know, that's why I got into film because I, I obviously I really care about it and really passionate about it. Um, and, you know, I often see on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, TikTok and stuff like people make fun of film majors all the time. And a lot of times I'm like, we're not that bad. We're actually pretty cool. And like, we just have like cool opinions on stuff. And then every once in a while, I watch a film where I'm like, oh, it makes sense that people hate us. And this is one of those films <laughs> where it's like, you know, Roger Ebert, like, um, said it was the best film of you know 1981 or whenever it was released and it's a film um, without cliches uh, it's a film without cliches and it's just like there's no artifice and it's like shut the fuck up this movie is one of the most boring self-congratulatory masturbatory white guys are the most important movies i've ever seen in my life this is one of the this is 
I mean, I won't say it's a bad movie because I think a lot of things are really artfully done. And I do think there are parts of it that I found very compelling that I found myself very drawn into. But as a sure. whole to like, like the fact that this is in like the Criterion collection, it then makes me like, oh yeah, that's why no one gives a shit about the Criterion collection. Cause like, yeah, you have things like amazing movies, like, you know, um, Rashomon and, um, you know, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, you know, all these crazy, you know, Citizen Kane and you have all these like, you know, giants of cinema. Actually, in I don't think Citizen Kane is in, in, in the Criterion collection. Well, Fair enough, but it's in, you know, I guess I'm conflating it with, like, the AFI's, you know, sure, best 100 sure. films. But, like, the, these, these you know, uh, this idea of, like, these, you know, definitive, like, collections and lists of, like, movies that every everybody should watch before they die. And the fact that this is, like, sort of included in that conversation, it's like, yeah, no fucking wonder people just want to go watch The Avengers. Like, because this is fucking boring as shit. And, and you know... And then you get into this place where it's like, oh, well, if you don't get it, then I guess you just don't, I guess you're just not like, I don't know, I guess you're just not cultured enough to get it. I guess you just don't get it because you're not like a film person. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. It makes film majors and film people look so pretentious and so unable to relate to like the common man that it, it is embarrassing in my view. Yeah, no, uh, this is this was something that was brought up um, on a couple other of the episodes of my dinner with my dinner with Andre. Uh, uh, Gray Drake uh, said that, like, this is the kind of a movie that you attempt in college. And uh, it was on the screen drafts mm -hmm. screen drafts episode. Someone was like, this is a movie you watch in college in college to prove how open minded you are about cinema. Like, the, yeah. oh, yes, I have refined 100%. taste. I like my dinner with my dinner with Andre. Um, and and I think your use of the word pretentious is is I mean, it's it's a word that is often uh, uh, it's 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 almost like a buzzword nowadays where people just throw throw it around at any kind of film that or anything that's like obsessed with itself. And and I would I would argue that this film is incredibly pretentious in but in the the definition of it in that is. It is based on pretense. Um, it's based on pretense, and that if you want to like enjoy it or get like some sort of deeper meaning out of it, then you will have to have seen all of the things that are are built up in that are the 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 things that it is connected to. Um, it's uh, it was funny on the the temple trauma episode of of. Um, of my dinner with my dinner with Andre, the, the, the big thing at the end was like, it's no Avengers Endgame, mm -hmm. And, and I actually, I actually would disagree because I would argue that very much like, um, uh, Avengers Endgame, my dinner with Andre is they're both, they're, they're both incredibly pretentious films in that if you want to like get stuff out of them, if you want to really enjoy them, then you have to have seen all of these other things that inform your viewing of My Dinner with Andre or inform your viewing of Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Like, if you want to understand all of the character development in Avengers Endgame, you will have, have to seen Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World and all of these other movies. Right. Um, and I just want to so, say, I am not a Marvel fan by any means. So okay. when I say, I mean, I did really like WandaVision and I do enjoy myself. Well, I did cry at the end of the end game. I'm, I'm going to be honest, but like I, mm -hmm. I, you know, Iron Man came out in 2008. I was, you know, 12. 
So like it's it's been very much part of my childhood and adolescence, the sort of this this first phase of the MCU or whatever. But I'm not like a I'm not like a Scorsese, you better shut your fucking mouth about Marvel person at all. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I'm just I use that because it is like, you know, it's one of the most popular film franchises that is right. in the world today. So that is kind of like why force. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. So that's I just wanted to make that clear that that's kind of why I brought that up. Yeah, and I like for me like the Avengers. I I have to give it some credit. It was the movie that initially got me into like going to the theater and watching films, and um, mm-hmm. it was like the one of the first movies to do that for me. And since then, I've I've kind of moved on because I've realized that it's it's just a lot of the same. Um, and actually, I would have to say that like my taste has over over all of my film watching these years of, of diving deeper into cinema that my taste has veered more towards stuff like my dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to do deep dives in, into types of cinema that I'm, I'm a lot more interested in doing a deep dive in some, into some very esoteric um, uh, uh, films about like people just doing almost seemingly purpose, or insignificant things like that's that's my genre one of the films that i that i didn't watch um in building up to this that i wanted to get to was jean dealman which is the chantal ackerman film that's three and a half hours about a woman cleaning her apartment Mm -hmm. and i was like that that's my kind of movie patterson a movie about a poet who drives a bus that's my kind of movie two people talking over dinner that's my kind of movie and and i acknowledge that 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 yeah that there is a huge element of of i mean we can get into it of of privilege and that goes into being able to to enjoy that goes into going after these kinds of films because these are are less accessible films mm-hmm. than your your avengers and your marvel films right um and and really what i've taken away from all of my like in the past week, I'll just I'll just give a little rundown. In the past week, I have seen my dinner with Andre five times in some form or another. It's fucking torturous. I man. have watched uh, uh, t- two other uh, Louis Mal films. Um, his uh, d- directorial debut uh, with Jacques Cousteau, The Silent World, and um, his his last film, Vanya and Forty Second Street, which is also with Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. Um, I've seen uh, uh, all the Blu-ray supplements on the Criterion edition of My Dinner with Andre. Um, and I've seen the documentary Andre Gregory Before and After Dinner, which came out in 2013. I've I've seen all these things. And the reason that I've been able to do that is because I have time on my hands because I can afford to take the time to do all of this research. Um, to read all these essays by Wallace Shawn or by Andre Gregory to, 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 and and it's kind of like the screen's margins. The what this what our what our podcast network is about is about doing deep dives, albeit much slower pace, more paced out uh, 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 deep dives into uh, directors' filmographies: Frederick Wiseman, Dorothy Arzner, Rainer Werner Fassbinder. These are are films that are not in the mainstream, and that that and like in the case of Wiseman, incredibly long films, um, and that people either might not have access to. Though that is getting better as time goes on, where through streaming and stuff like that, and um, 
that there is an element of of privilege in being able to do all to to do this podcast to the fact that we're doing this podcast is is a is a symbol of of our our privilege that we have to take time away f- from our lives to talk about these things mm-hmm. and and yeah so i i very much feel like an andre um in that i have spent all this time uh, uh, going on this quest, as it were, to learn all I can about my dinner with Andre, and and in and hopefully I'll I'll have I'll have something to take away from it. Um, but yeah, it's it's there is an element of hypocrisy in what we're doing, just as in, there is very much an element of hypocrisy in all of Andre's uh, 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 travels and ex- exploits. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Yeah, it, it's just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that, like, oh, you can afford, like, the time to um, look into this. And I just don't think good art needs to actually be looked into with outside sources all that much to get it. Well, sure. Yeah. You I know? mean, the... the, the... No film, if I, I, the, I, the, I agree with the thought that if you watch a film and it doesn't capture you, then the film hasn't done its job. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that no, that you are not obligated to have, to have knowledge on other things outside of the work to, so that in order for you to enjoy the work. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that I do love this film, My Dinner with Andre, is, Partly thanks to the the time that I've taken to right. to go into and learn all about the lives of of Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn and Louis Mal and understanding all of the weird stuff that that built up to this film and has happened as a result of it. Right. Then again, I mean, it's I it's it's kind of like one of the things I was thinking about with this movie is it's people talk about it is it as the movie where two people just talk over dinner and it's kind of like something that i've been talking about on uh our dorothy arzner podcast um in talking about silent cinema is it it just doesn't like why people have an aversion to silent cinema nowadays they're like oh it's 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 not as good as sound cinema and really it's just different it's just a different you could say it's a different genre a different medium and one of the things that I'm thinking about with this movie is like, I'm if if people made more movies like this where it's just two people talking and they were in the mainstream, then I think that that I I think what this film that is that people is, would want silent of, cinema <laughs> and people well, would be no, like shut the, the fuck up we are so no, tired. Just, well, no, it's just that that silent cinema is just as valid a medium as sound cinema. It, yeah, for for decades that was all we had um and it's kind of a shame that people are kind of dismissing silent cinema now um and i think i f- kind of compare i would kind of compare my dinner with andre to something like uh, uh night of the living dead um in that it is kind of a uh it could serve as a sp- start of a genre and with night of the living dead of course there was all the copyright stuff and so people could just take that and make whatever they want very cheaply and this is another type of film that could be made very cheaply just two people talking and i i think that if if more people um would just 
you know, go out and make th- these kinds of films, I think um, that it might that this film might not be seen as so much as a as an oddity. And I, I think that there's room to be explored here in that because, yeah, this conversation is incredibly uh, uh, elitist and and uh, uh, bourgeois and all of these things. Mm-hmm. But there are versions of this film uh, that that could be that from entirely different perspectives, different kinds of people who could have a, a movie where it's just about them over dinner talking about life and nature of stuff. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that could be mine. There's a whole bunch of stuff that could be explored there. And I, I think that's something right. that that would be really interesting to explore is, is this kind of movie from other perspectives. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, I think very rarely do films suffer because of the form. Like I usually don't think that like the form or the structure of any given story or plot is like the reason it sucks. I think it's usually the content within that that like it mm-hmm. kind of makes or breaks it. Does that make sense? Like it you could have like the coolest structure in the world and if your uh like content doesn't live up to it then like what's the point of having that cool structure? That sort of thing. But usually content surpasses structure. And so I agree mm-hmm. that this the form of this film is interesting because it, it we just don't really see a lot of it, but the content of it is the reason that I think I'm so opposed to it. Right. Like, I think if maybe, you know, like you said, if there were two different people with two different perspectives uh, than these two sort of talking, um, I think I might be a little bit more interested. But um, this felt like I... Okay, so, like, for example, I, um, like, in college, I one time, I... I mean, basically, I spoke at my college's charter day one year, like I had a like a speaking role in it. And so I had to go to this big, like, uh, huge brunch with a lot of like, very like, high class upper, like, you know, really important, like guests who were there, like, it was like a VIP sort of lunch thing. And they sat all the students who were speaking in with like, you know, these people who had graduated in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, and were now doing big important things off in the world. And I remember like being at one of those tables and like trying to talk to people and relate to them and just continually being like iced out of conversation because like I wasn't like good enough to be in the conversation. And like this is, this is like what would have happened if I was the third person at that table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there it's it's this hugely like we are so important and our thinking is the most important thinking and our experiences are the most important experiences and anyone who differs from us or hasn't been able to experience these things they're just a robotic drone they're just going through life and they're not even living because the way i'm living life is the only way to live life and it's just a very like pompous attitude to take Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's and uh, yeah, that 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 is the stuff that Andre is is espousing that like you're all robots. We're, we're asleep that the 60s was the last great 
burst of humanity and now uh it's it's all going it's it's all uh uh devolving and decaying and and the only way to wake people up is is to go out into into the polish forest and and yeah. have a a christening uh, living off the land and um <laughs> going to the sahara and eating sand or or <laughs> all of these incredibly th- ludicrous as 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 Wallace Shawn puts it, absurd, obscene uh, exercises um, that, like, at one point, Andre talks about uh, uh, how theater is supposed to uh, make contact with reality, and so what he wanted to do when he was doing this Greek play is to have an actual head that would be passed around the audience from a morgue. Like, fucking psychotic. Fucking psychotic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, the, the, there's 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 so much hypocrisy there, and 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 so much, so much so much privilege that he is at this point where, where the only the only valid uh, uh, way of of living is a way that is that is impossible to reach, uh, uh, for so many people. And he talks, uh, and yeah, it's it's, I I I really I I just find the character of Andre fascinating just because of of everything surrounding everything surrounding uh, uh this film when you actually like go and learn like about his actual life um this is something that uh, uh Bibbs and Whitney talked about is Andre is what's really going on here is Andre is having an extreme mental health crisis and and he is so privileged that it's just a quirk and it's it's really just feel for art. It's not something that's debilitating him. Like he's having visions of demons, and in and at while well, at mass, like you need to see someone about that. Mm-hmm. And and um and what I just I found so fascinating in in my research was learning about frankly all of the trauma that this guy has been through. Um, this was. Pretty much, this was the put film that put both Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn on the map. It was Andre Gregory's first acting credit. Like, he he ni- neither of these men were really known to to the world outside of the theater community um, before this film. Right. And um and so when I was like going back, it's like, so who were these people before then? And so one of the threads throughout the film is uh andre's obsessed with nazis yeah super like, he talks a lot about nazis i was a little concerned about that to the point where i looked it up to see what if he was jewish because i was like he's talking a lot about hitler like and then obviously like he fl- like you know as you noted in this lovely document you put together for me and also as i discovered he was born in paris like right before world war ii started yeah, to a to a Russian Jewish family. Yeah. Yeah. Um so he had to flee to the United States. Right. And so he and the thing was is so yeah, so he was a Jewish family, but not just that he was a Jewish he was a a a, a from a Jewish family, but um that when they got to the America when they got to America that his family um uh they changed their last name to Gregory. They took out the the they had a Jewish name and and they they changed it and they kind of almost suppressed their Jewish heritage, which is very common. Yeah. In, yeah. in the United States. And, um, and this is something that I learned while watching the documentary that his second wife, um, uh, directed, um, about him is that his father 
who, by the way, both of his parents were absent. And that is something that clearly he has affected him and has affected his own marriage in this film. He, he's an absent father himself mm-hmm. in my dinner with Andre and he's uh, 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 leaving on all these trips. Um, and and so it turns out that his dad may very well have been a Nazi collaborator in the 30s. Wow trying to undermine the French uh, uh, economy working with with under Hitler and that's crazy like the guy is, lives is is clearly like he is dealing with so much trauma and uh, uh, there's at the beginning of the film one of the one of the main uh, uh, references to other works of art in this movie is how um, Wallace talks about in his narration that um, that his friend found him uh, crying on the side of the street after seeing the Bergman film Autumn Sonata, mm-hmm. um, which is and specifically reacting to the line "I could always live inside my art, but never in my life," mm-hmm. and which is which is kind of the theme of of this entire movie. If you well, get right, down it's to what it. Andre is doing. He can't live inside his life. He can only live inside his art. Um, and that's 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 the struggle that he's having. But what when you watch Autumn Sonata, which by the way that line does not appear in the film, that is that is not a line in Autumn Sonata. There is a speech oh, that circles around that idea, but that was a paraphrase. So I was I was watching the movie, and the, when the line never showed up, I was like, what? Yeah. Um, but what that film is about is about a. Uh, it's about the dynamic between a mother and a daughter, and the mother who is a famous pianist who when she was off on tours um would would just think of I need to be home with with my family but she when she was home with her family she neglected them and she was terrible to her husband and terrible to her daughter and like this film Autumn Sonata is pretty much Andre's experience as a child and also as a parent where absent father absent absent parents right and so right and this is what I say when I say that watching all of these other things lends me to have this appreciation for the this character of Andre is realizing kind of like how he's been he's like obviously still incredibly privileged he's still incredibly wealthy well because he's uh, yeah because he's like an aristocrat right like IRL right, he's, yeah no his his family was extremely wealthy and yeah. he just kind of has that money that he can he can just afford to do whatever he's that rich yeah it's not a consideration yeah you know I think um I mean so like okay off the bat I'm not Jewish I don't claim any sort of uh Judaism in my life nor am I um, and so take sort of my interpretation of this with a grain of salt, um, cause I'm coming at it from a more general perspective. Uh, that being said, so obviously like Andre, like both him in real life and him in the movie are very rich. They've been, has been able to lead the life of basically like a, uh, artisanal artistic, um, aristocrat who kind of gets to go do whatever he wants. And then like, obviously all this stuff of Hitler keeps, sort of being uh like he keeps interjecting it into the conversation and particularly um when he compares himself to Hitler's architect like I think right. it it was rubbing me kind of weird and I think what it is it's like um he I mean thankfully Andre himself never actually had to deal with the effects of Hitler on Jewish people because he fled to the United States and 
So he never had to go into hiding or go into a concentration camp or anything, which, yay. Like, I am so happy that he didn't have to do that. Um, And uh, obviously I didn't know uh, that about his father, but I feel like this sometimes happens with people when they're sort of like secondary to a trauma. So like they didn't experience the great trauma primarily. Like, for example, like my dad had cancer, so I didn't experience the cancer as a primary trauma, but I experienced my dad having cancer as sort of a secondary trauma to the primary cancer. And so because of that, I learned a lot about cancer. And I feel like I like made it so that I would be able to like, I I feel like it's kind of one of those things about like learn what you fear most kind of thing. And so I feel like that's a lot of what Andre is doing in this film is like, He's, he's sort of like, it's sort of like a realization that like, he cannot claim the primary trauma of the Holocaust, but he, and so I think he's like, he's obsessed with it. He's obsessed with it and because he feels a trauma from it, but he knows that he can't claim the primary trauma that probably a lot of his peers can, you know? Does that make so sense? It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like survivor's guilt. Like we talked about this yeah. with promising young woman. Um yeah. that that while Cassie was never raped, um that um that there's there's that there's there that becomes that a that become an obsession results from it. And Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and and Andre is clearly showing signs of that. And and just like in Promising Young Woman, mental health issues that need to be addressed. <laughs> Yes, and yeah, I mean, two two very different movies, one significantly more enjoyable than the other. But um <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is it is kind of like an interesting um vibe like to have like and it is confusing because it's just that's that's like it's a pretty essential piece of background information that isn't really mentioned in the movie, especially because he then goes on to talk about going to church on Long Island. So you're kind of like, oh, so you're, are you like waspy? Like, what's the, like, what exactly is like the thing? So Mm -hmm. like, if you don't know these things, it's about Andre Gregory as a person, then it's a completely different picture in in the movie. Yeah, which is why I say that that it's a very pretentious film. Once you have the context, then you can understand like where Andre might be coming from. But without that, it he does present a very uh, uh, unflattering picture. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I think that was that was one of the main themes of the most recent episode of my dinner with my dinner with Andre uh, with uh, the people from from beyond the from beyond the broadcast which is a great little radio drama uh, uh podcast that I, I highly recommend um as they were talking specifically about uh, uh their uh wally and andre's wives or mm-hmm. their their partners i'm um debbie and chiquita yeah and one of the things that they took away from that which is totally understandable because they only ever refer to andre's wife as chiquita is as like yeah andre is totally the kind of person who would have um a woman of color wife kind of thing a hundred percent a hundred he's like very much woody allen the thing is that 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 isn't that isn't talked about in the film that chiquita is not Chiquita's name. Her name is Mercedes. She is a white woman um, who actually survived Germany 
in World War II mm-hmm. then came to the United States and that they talk a lot about um, her as being like this belabored housewife when actually she was also she was a director she was a film director and she directed uh, several films about uh, uh, Jerzy Grotowski who is the Polish theater director that Andre talks a lot about yeah in that this they movie. talk about a lot yeah and so that information and isn't in there and that doesn't make any fucking sense either because like then I'm kind of like, oh, so d- uh, do you wish your wife was like a, be- like, do you wish Chiquita, Mercedes Chiquita, whatever, is a belabored housewife? Like, what the fuck is this? Like, how is, if, if this is so autobiographical, then to change something like that, it's like, that's a weird change. Well, well, no, Chiquita is, was her lifelong nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and 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 like the same kind of thing with 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 Debbie is that Deborah. Uh, was I saw this. She a, was based on um, a writer, right? Well, it's it's Wally's actual partner. Yeah, Wallace's real life partner, uh, Deborah Eisenberg, who is a short story writer and, she has and a professor. cameo in the movie, right? Right. She is one of the one of the uh, uh, restaurant attendees. We just see her in diners. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, like that that whole thing that they talk that they talk about uh, uh Chelsea and Farah talk about um these these belabored women and how these men treat them and and I think what it is one of the failings of the, and it's I I have two things with this film that I'm like yeah you, you didn't need this or you really did need this and um the one thing that they that they left out um and it's people don't really talk about it is um is Wallace talks about in his narration is like we talked about Debbie and Chiquita for a while before we got to all this stuff about Andre's pontificating and that's just covered in narration and we don't actually get to hear it and I think that it would it is it would have made these that made Wallace and Andre so much more human if they actually talked about their if we got to hear them talking about their their wives their um uh, their Andre partners, talking yeah. about his kids um uh for for maybe 10 minutes before we got to all this stuff if we show that yes they actually care about these people um kind of thing and and yeah and and i i it, it's a it's something that can, can't happen now sadly because uh, uh chiquita passed away in 1992 of of cancer R. I. P. um was I would have really liked to see uh, my dinner with Chiquita and to have have a film where it's it's Debbie and 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 Chiquita talking over dinner. And there would obviously still be some elements of of like privilege in there because Mm -hmm. but and and bourgeois ideals. But I I would really like to see that film from their perspective. Uh, Yeah. Get Chantal Ackerman to direct it. Um, And that. I so there there is that element that I think that they they did kind of short or maybe it's intentional. I I do believe that the film is aware of how how privileged these men are. I mean, if you go into the filmography of Louis Mal, his entire filmography is uh, Louis Mal is is a was a French aristocrat whose essentially sole purpose in cinema was to take fr- aristocrats to task. Um, and to attack them and to show their their hypocrisy and so I do believe that there has to be an element of awareness of of both Andre and Wallace as as privileged people and they are oblivious to the fact that the restaurant has been empty for an hour by the time their conversation ends kind yeah of thing. I mean 
I do I do think that there is a sliver of self-awareness, but it's also, I mean, a couple things. Number one, I think that the context of the time this film was made as opposed to when we're watching it is important because we're watching it 40 years later. Um, yes, at least 40th that, anniversary. This yeah, year. that's my first time watching it. It's 40 years after it was made or uh, put in theaters, I guess. But um, regardless, it's, uh, you know, the the idea of white privilege didn't exist to white people in 1981. <laughs> like no one thought about that. And it wasn't a mainstream topic of conversation. And right? um, this is like the beginning of the eighties. This is the beginning of like greed is good. We love money. We love wealth. This mm-hmm. is like, you know, wall street comes out this year. Um, this is Reaganomics. Reaganomics. And um, there is also, uh, it became, a lot like the 80s sort of shifted into this idea of like um like those who valued money versus those who valued art even though like they were both really fucking rich like the people that were allowed in the conversation for the most part so it's kind of like i still think that like even though there is a bit of self-awareness that like they're rich yada yada like they did they don't notice what's happening around them they barely they're they're very like dismissive of the waiter and stuff like that um i do think that they there is still a bit of like pitting them as the underdogs in like society like you know what i mean like against like the masses like they're the ones they're the, we're the ones we're making we're making shit that counts and we're living life the way it counts and it, it kind of goes back again to my point earlier we're like we are doing it the right way and no one else is but no one else can see that we're doing it the right way because they're also clouded in their own you know daily lives dream state yeah walking in fog talking in symbols yeah and um so i do think that there is still an element of like pitching them as like the downtrodden in some weird way and maybe i'm not i'm just like not finding the right word but like do you know what i'm talking about where like there is still like this idea that like they are the exception and they are belabored because they are the exception right yeah no i i for sure I, I, I definitely can, can see that, that that while regardless of maybe the, the directors or the writers intentions that that I mean, and this is I, I, I will say that this is actually something that uh, uh, maybe was a failure on, on Louis Mall's part, because uh, Wallace has talked uh, Wallace Shawn has talked extensively about how he cannot watch this film because he believes that it is too kind to Wallace to the to the character of Wally. He feel he feels that Louis Mal uh, uh, made the film too warm almost, and that um, yeah. and that it, it it's still it's it's trying to have this 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 warm feeling of like yes we can have these nice conversations about life where Wallace's original intention was to kind of just be very very cynical in in tr- he he's stated that he wanted to kill this character of Wally this person based in fear um this this bourgeois humanist kind of thing that he 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 he's, he, he hated that character yeah. kind of thing yeah and and I I and Louis Mall definitely does infuse the sense of of warmness in the movie that these uh, uh, and there is an element to to ha- two people connecting that there is inevitably going to be some some element of like this is a good thing that we're having these two people begin I mean it starts out with Andre just talking forever and it's a uh, Andre said like it's a film about Andre learning to listen and Wally learning not 
they're, these two men are both hiding, one behind words and one behind silence right. over the course of the film. One learns to talk and one learns to listen. Um, though I think that's a little undercut by the fact that in in the conversation my dinner with Andre, the Andre still has the last word. Yeah. Um, and while I love that last line, that last line is just so so interesting to me the the line um a baby holds your hand and then a huge man lifts you off the ground and then he's gone where's that son that's a really interesting last line but i still but it, but also the fact that andre has the last word i think kind of undercuts the idea that andre learned to listen because right. he ha- still had the last word well yeah and also like then i also like hated the last bit where you know Wally is like in the cab and is like, and I was so excited to tell Debbie about my dinner with my dinner Andre. with Andre, and then credits roll. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's just like, and and you know, I. It's tough because I really do like Wallace Shawn a lot, and um, I'm sure that if I watched any of uh, Louis Mahler and Andre Gregory's other work, that I would uh, be interested in it, and maybe I am predisposed to dislike this film or something like that but um fuck this was boring like it's just it's just uh it's god i i have a real problem with movies like this and i'll tell you what my problem is i And, and this also sort of gets into the age-old old question, like, is art for the artist or is it for the people who see it? Like, is art meant to be private or public? And it's a, you know, it's a really interesting debate and one that, like, you know, very famous artists have dealt with, like Emily Dickinson and, um, you know, a whole host of other people. Um, and... But I think if you're going to make a movie, which you probably want people to see, you have to let go of your arrogance. And I don't think any of these people let go of their arrogance in making this film. Um, And... Yeah. (laughs) And... This idea of like making high art that like you know is 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 not uh, it's not going to be for everybody and like we're not going to cater to you know people. It's like you can make really good art that lots of people enjoy and that hits a lot of people. And I think and I mean granted you enjoyed this film, but this film didn't affect me at all. Um, like even though I say I disliked it and it was boring. I'm not going to think about it after we, we finish recording. I'm not going to think about okay. it one more time again in my life. Because ultimately it didn't change the way I view anything. It didn't make me think about anything differently. Um, whereas like, you know, even... Um, there's, uh, you know, like I'm... the. A lot of, weirdly, for whatever reason, I'm drawing, uh, it's like in my head, I'm connecting it a lot to uh, Red Desert, um, which is a great uh, Italian film, uh, and the director is a guy who's very famous. So it's a 1964 film? Yes. Oh, Antonioni. Antonioni, yes. 
I was like, it's not Fellini, it's not yada yada. Antonioni. Yeah. Guy who did La Ventura, Blow Up, all that stuff. Um, for whatever reason, I'm drawing a lot of comparisons to Red Desert. Um, because I think Red Desert also sort of deals with this idea of like what is living and like what is dream and what is reality and how to, uh, you know, how those two get conflated and yada yada. I mean, feel free to disagree. I don't give a shit. Um, but regardless, it's like that and that film, it sort of deals with these really cerebral things, but it also doesn't assume that like, I just think it's really arrogant to assume that two people want to watch a conversation between two like white guys for two hours. Sure. I, I don't know. Like, I think I, I think it's a pretty arrogant way to make a point and make a movie. Um, mm hmm. And like I've I think I think this format has been more successful in plays and like in the theater. And I get it because sure. Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory both come from a theater background. So like it makes sense why they would write something that might be adaptable to the stage. But it, but even then again, it's like it's it's not accessible for a lot of people to go to a theater. Right. Period. Um, yeah. So especially especially nowadays the, 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 with the rise of film, I mean, theater used to be a I mean, go back to the days of Shakespeare when it was literally a penny to go see. Oh, yeah, of course. Play. And however, and theater has evolved over time to, to be this much more less, much less populist and much more for the elite over time. I agree. But even still in Shakespeare times, I mean, granted, I guess there have been, you know, traveling troops who would put on plays in different villages and stuff like that. But right. like, um, that's a thing in lots of different cultures. Yeah. Uh, but you know, probably people who didn't live in London didn't get to see Shakespeare plays. You know what I mean? Like sure, they didn't sure. like people, like people who lived in, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, like wherever Manchester is and like whatever that mm -hmm. used to be Iowa in the 1600s. <laughs> people, yeah. Yeah. People probably didn't get to see that. And 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 so even though it has become like prohibitively expensive in uh, more recent years, there is still um, with the exception of things like community theaters and maybe traveling troops and stuff like that, which I mean, frankly, like I have never seen a traveling troupe, so I don't. I can't really speak. It's to... not really a thing nowadays. It's mostly yeah. just in like independent theater companies that that they've got their own space and that's all they can afford to have. Right. Um. But it, there is still a huge segment of the population that, um, not only are they kind of like you know me, like I live in New York. I you know I could in theory get to a play. I could, it would be relatively easy for me to be in front of the theater and be in the theater, but the issue is the money. So, like, that's one thing. The other mm -hmm. thing is that there is a huge portion of the population that does not even have access to a theater. And that's just in the United States, let alone in other right. countries, which I honestly, I can't really speak to. But, um, it, it, yeah, there's a huge segment of the population that doesn't even have the ability to just like be, go and stand in front of a theater you know what i mean um mm -hmm. so i mean whichever way you slice it this film is inaccessible ergo it's a failure to me okay um yeah just uh uh 
it was something that uh, uh, that that uh, Clay and Ryan talked about in their episode of my dinner with my dinner with Andre is they talked about the idea that they talked a lot about that last line and I went and I told my din- Debbie all about my dinner with Andre and how the idea of Andre as entertainment um, and how like that. If if these people uh, uh, do serve any sort of function, these kinds of ultra wealthy, esoteric goes off to do vision quests, comes back. Um, uh, uh, people like uh, nowadays we might call I, a, a good comparison, uh, a modern contemporary comparison to Andre Gregory would be a Jared Leto who yeah, was off on his vision quest and didn't even know didn't that COVID know had happened. Yeah, he's fucking leading his own cult. Love yeah, him. and he, the, I think that Jared Leto is actually a good comparison to to an Andre Gregory. Yeah, this I very agree. weird guy doesn't. Uh, he was know actually how to he was the first people. person I thought of when you started this thought as well. So I agree. Yeah, um, but uh, that that maybe their only their maybe their role in society it's it's worth considering is just that they are they are here to entertain us. Uh, with their with their crazy stories and all their weird stuff that maybe that's their only function and and i think that that's an interesting idea it's 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 for, for at least yeah and and it goes to something that uh uh that that uh, uh that from beyond the broadcast talked about is the idea of of audience for for mass audiences versus for just tiny amounts of people and how for theater nowadays it's only for a few people um the the ultra wealthy but also there is also the stuff outside of that in that anyone in their lives can make art and it's not going to have a huge audience it's not going to be very accessible the art of the ultra rich is not accessible to anyone except for the rich and the art of the the average person the person who doesn't have a ton of money their art is not going to be accessible to maybe if only a few people around them in their social circle kind of thing like um like i'm thinking of of my work in in theater like that was just for really for a lot of it just the families of the people who like we didn't make money on our shows we just we did it for our families kind of thing well i think i mean and i i will say there is um I guess when I talk about, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that is a completely valid idea of accessibility in terms of like the actual amount of people that are going to see it and like the size of the audience, like that's totally valid. I guess when I criticize this film's accessibility as a film, not necessarily as like a a screenplay or a potential um, play or anything like that, um, I'm more like... I'm more commenting on the content being inaccessible yes. yeah, in yeah, the yeah. same way that like a, an academic journal is, can be inaccessible to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And, and what, and I guess what I was saying is, is that what I was getting at is that, or what they, what, uh, uh, from Chelsea, beyond the broadcast said Farrah. is, it, yeah, is that they say that if you can affect three people with your art, if you could really do that, then that's enough. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, and we, you talk about like, if was this made for an audience or was this made just for them? Really, when you dig into it to the history of it, Andre had had all of these experiences and he felt like a complete failure. And so he just, and Wallace reached out to him as like, Hey, do you want to, the intention of this was just Andre wanted to make a film that portrayed his failure as an artist 
Um, uh, he, and so ultimately, the, and they they never thought that this movie would blow up. They had no i they had they had no inclination to believe that this would become one of the largest and most successful independent films of all time, which it is, which is crazy. Um, and and so I think about like the fact that this artwork doesn't work for maybe a lot of people that I totally get it. They only made it with themselves mm-hmm. in mind. And so the fact that it doesn't yeah. speak to a large people, despite maybe some of their topics is very interesting and is compelling to think about um, um, the ethics of, of uh, uh, how to live your life and, and uh, waking yourself up, like all of these things. Like there are some interesting ideas that they talk about. I'm that, for them, if if it, if you don't get it, then that I totally get it. I guess, but then isn't that also like an element of privilege that you can like make a movie about like your own struggles and it doesn't matter? Oh, of course, if, yeah. Like you break even <laughs> on it or not, and so it's like, I mean, there's just so many things at play here that it's kind of because. <laughs> Like, is art for the artist or the audience? And, like, I don't think there's a right answer either way. Um, In this case, they made it for the artist. They made it for They made it for the artist, which I think is valid. But then, I I guess, and maybe my issue isn't even then with the creators. Maybe my issue then is with the critics and, and criticism of this film. Or, in this case, praise for this film. Because, I mean... Like, like we talk about Roger Ebert, very privileged guy. Very, well, and I mean, probably, honestly, like most film critics who were prominent enough to have an opinion on this film in 1981, like we, you didn't have blogs, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have Twitter. You had like, you know, the fucking New York Times, the New Yorker, uh, you know, the Washington Post. The New York Post, Post the New York, no. <laughs> the Chicago Tribune, you know, LA Times, yada, yada. You had Times. like the big like sort of movie markets in the United States that would like release, you know, reviews mm-hmm. that would be taken seriously. Rolling Stone, yada, yada. And all yada. their critics were white guys. and Yeah. And so then, so then it's like. Okay, like, or, or I should say that the dominant voices were white guys because yeah. there have been critics of all different types of people. Yeah, and I'm sure at at any given time there's been a lot of critics of all creeds and colors. But uh, the like the idea that this is like a classic and a film without cliche and like one of the most like raw cr- amazing films of all time. It's like, have you seen other movies? Like, this is not that good of a movie in comparison to, like, most other movies I've seen. Um, and, and so then maybe my issue is that this, so then maybe my issue is with the film community as a whole in regards to this film, where, like, well, sure, yeah. there, the idea that someone couldn't relate to this or couldn't, like, find this interesting is, like, so foreign to people who have been like such big voices in film criticism that it's like get out of your own ass for two seconds andre's right with that electric blanket stuff like yeah how how dare he have an electric blanket he should experience the cold it's separating him from i'm sorry i'm sorry tell like tell like the homeless population of new york city that like you know comfort makes you feel like tranquility is dangerous like 
Fuck you. That's you want to know the like best so, part about speaking that. Speaking as someone, Anna, you know, hmm. just sorry. You want to know the Tell best me. part of that whole bit with the electric blanket? So this film was not shot in New York. It was shot outside of the New York stuff, but it was shot on a set in an abandoned hotel um, somewhere along the East Coast. I don't know, it was Virginia or whatever, but it was shot in a set, and it was shot okay. during winter, and in an abandoned hotel with no heating, and they couldn't run the heaters during shooting because they were so loud. Um, right. So while they were filming... Did they have electric blankets? They had electric blankets. And so Andre is wearing an electric blanket while he's talking about how tranquility is dangerous and you shouldn't wear an electric blanket. The privilege runs deep in this movie. I don't even know if I want to talk about it anymore. I'm so mad in this movie. So mad I had to watch it. Like, it's, and I mean, I'm just so mad that, like, we have to talk about it. I don't know. Like, I get why, you know, uh, you know, critical acclaim. You guys are great. Get why you guys are making a podcast all about this. I just don't know if this film deserves to be talked about at the level it's being talked about. Yeah. Intellectually speaking. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's uh, this whole this whole thread is is was a large focus of what the first cut people talked about RB three and Andres and Sabrina. They talked about how like that this movie is not a most people probably haven't seen this movie or heard of this movie. Most people have they can get just as much entertainment um, out of out of Black Panther. This is the example that they cited. Um, and how uh, uh, RB three talked about um, Sullivan's Travels, which is a movie about. A, uh, a rich director who wants to make a film about homeless people so he disguises himself as a homeless person so that he can really get into it, you know, get into the, understand these people. And he's disgusted to find that these homeless people, they're not, they don't care about the movie, the kinds of movies that he wants to make, that they just like the Mickey Mouse cartoons kind of thing. And um, that entertainment is whatever form people are able to derive it, that's valid. And and something else that they perform is like they never like gave a grade to the movie um, in in their discussion of it. But like they found it, uh, several of them were very interesting in the discussions they were having. And so they got that they got stuff out of the film. But what I, I what they got out of it was not because of of because they related to the struggles that Andre was going through um, of of not of his all of his vision quests and stuff like that it's 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 despite that i guess like where i come down on it is like the privileged white male experience has has been wholly overrepresented in film as we know it um (laughs) really (laughs) yeah i mean yeah like no shit sherlock but yeah i mean so when i say that like you know I mean, you know, I'll speak for myself. I'm a young, white, gay girl who lives in New York. And I can't relate to a thing that happens and that it, that they are talking about in this film. Um, and I also don't really glean anything new or different from it. Because I've seen this, um, I've seen the world through this lens before. In many different films. And I have watched better films from this lens and gleaned more sure. from them. I think that they're basically just do- two dudes jerking each other off about how smart they are and how much better they are than everyone else. And yeah, I say that as a fan of... Honesty of wa- and pr- 
And I say that as a huge fan of Wallace Shawn, like a big lifelong fan of Wallace Shawn. I, I, I will say that, that there was one moment in the film that I really, um, that I felt I is one of the best moments in the film. And it was when Andre, I guess was most relatable to me. Um, not because it was something that I experienced, um, though I imagine I will experience it in the future, um, is when he, he was talking about his mother dying in the hospital. And I felt that that was the, maybe the strongest moment in the film because he got like genuinely angry in that moment and talking about how the doctor in, uh, was only focused on her arm when she was clearly about to die. But the doctor came in, checked her arm, and she's like, oh, she's in wonderful shape. And the way like, aren't he we got pleased? like, yeah. And he's like, the way he got actually angry in that moment, I felt was like, okay, Andre, this is, the, I mean, because that is something universal, the loss, losing your mother. Um, Absolutely. It's something that if it hasn't already happened, um, uh, then then it likely it will. And if will. and if not a mother, then a mother figure or a father figure or something like that. And that a, you're losing a someone. Parental guardian, grandparent, whatever. Yeah, you're losing someone, and someone isn't recognizing that. And then the follow up, um, uh, rewatching this movie, the one of the things that jumped out to me most was. Um, the first lines that Wallace and Andre have to each other is like, you look wonderful. I feel terrible. Cause that's going back to that idea of like, I am suffering and people will just compliment how I look. They're not relating to me. That stuff I felt was like, okay, Andre, like this is an actually like, I understand this idea is like, I've just lost my mother and no one will talk about it with me. Yeah. Those are the most honest points of the film. I would agree. Right. Um, and I found those to be the most moving and everything else I just found to be pretty performative. Mm -hmm. But even then there was still stuff in there. Like where he talks about is like, if we were in a Tibetan home and this happened, then people would crazy and the Africans would spear us if we acted like this. And it's just like, okay, thank you, Andre for that, for that nice racist, racist stereotypes and all that stuff. And also number two, it's like, um, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. It's like, um, you know, it's like you unable to just like express how you feel without backing it up with how like knowledgeable you are about it. Like, just shut the fuck mm -hmm. up. Like, no one cares. Like, okay, we're it's not like, yeah, because I've been to Tibet and Tibet people like act this, and I've been to here and this is da da da. da. And this is how they. And it's <laughs> yeah. like okay, well, we're okay. So like, it's like okay, like congrats for pointing out cultural differences. Like you're amazing. Like it's you know it's like this uh, because you've been there. And yeah, so I don't know. It's uh, <sighs> I'm so I'm out. I'm out of steam <laughs> for this. You're out, of, you're out of steam. All right. Well, then I guess uh, I so okay. There is one thing that I wanted to talk about with you. Is at the very beginning when you're talking about theater, you mentioned Ibsen. Mm-hmm. Is am am I right? Yes. And that you liked Ibsen. Dollhouse. Okay. I love that one. Okay. So. A film that I did not see in anticipation for this film that I kind of wanted to get to, but I just didn't have the time, was Wallace Shawn adapted an Ibsen play, and it was directed by Andre Gregory. And it I saw that came out. It was one of Jonathan Demme's last films. It's called A Master Builder, and and so I I would I'm interested. I'm probably going to end up watching that film, and I would also think that. I might. It might be worth because since you enjoy Ibsen to see if if 
you might be able to relate to like their interpretation. Yeah, and I will say I read Ibsen in um, AP Lit, and then again I think one more okay. time when I was uh, in college, intro to theater, maybe an English right. class or something. Um, so I haven't seen Ibsen acted, so that might also change okay. my view on it. Um, and it isn't the Ibsen play itself; it is Wallace's adaptation of it. Right. So yeah, it'll look a little different. Um, but yeah, I did. I did see that, which is why it sort of like it sort of triggered my memory of like, oh, I think I liked the Dollhouse. I thought it was an interesting uh, premise. Yeah. Um, As for me, I have no idea who Ibsen is. I don't really know who Chekhov is. My knowledge of theater is very well. Um, as Andre might say, superficial. Yeah. Um, in that my theater was like, it was like comedies. Um, we did uh, uh, screenplays that were adaptations from scripts for, or uh, screenplays for movies, that kind of thing. Like we did Stand and Deliver and The Outsiders. Um, yeah, so my, my knowledge of theater is very surface level. And I, I it's very it's very different to what this kind of, of theater that they talk about here. Um, and... And I mean, it was one of the last things that it was how uh, from beyond the broadcast uh, wrapped up their conversation is like, where where do Wallace and Andre go from here kind of thing is like, well, since this is such an autobiographical piece, we know. And the thing is, is that Andre kind of he did essentially give up on mainstream theater and he just started working with like little groups of actors for years on end. Just let's just work he was i mean he is so rich that he's able to just kind of be insulated from the world as it is today and just kind of work on his theater like a master builder that was a that was after 14 years of rehearsal kind of thing um with the same actors and he just he's only doing it for tiny private audiences of three people and so and we and in with both a master builder and also uh un, his adaptation of uncle vanya um, there are films available for that, and I did see Uncle Vanya on Forty Second Street, and I did really enjoy that film. But uh, yeah, so I guess I guess um, we're I guess we're kind of reaching a natural conclusion. So yeah. I guess I'll just say is um, we do a thing on our podcast uh, called the Quantified Vibe Check, where we just give this very frankly nonsensical uh, uh, grading of the film because I don't really like grading films. Um, but yeah, so uh, Anna, what would your quantified vibe check be of of my dinner with Andre? Zero quails. Zero quails? <laughs> out of what? <laughs> Just zero quails. I don't want to put it out of anything. Zero quails. Okay. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alright. For me, I mean, I... And the first time I saw it last year, it was just kind of a weird oddity for me. And that was kind of it. And then this deep dive into all of the stuff, this film and stuff surrounding it, I I did gather a much more, a much larger appreciation of the film. But that is, I think, mostly thanks to me going out of my way and doing all this other research. Um, so, yeah, very pretentious film. I'll I'll give it. Um, I'll Oh, my other my other thing with this film that no one on on any of the other podcasts has talked about and there's a reason why is the flag the whole bit with the flag does not need to be in the movie it's it's you could lift it and nothing would change that 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 whole so thread weird. i think it again goes back to to um the nazi obsession i think it relates back to yeah that. it's got the tibetan swastika in it and they just talk about the difference between tibetan swastika and nazi swastika and all that stuff but like that whole bit 
completely unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't like that bit. Yeah, it's it it connects to nothing else in the film. It it upon like on my fourth rewatch, I was like, why is this here? This serves no purpose in the story. Um, but I'll I'll, I'll I'm gonna give this film uh uh, uh f- f- four and uh, uh four and a half uh, uh s- flags with that give off bad vibes out of of. Uh, uh, nine uh, uh, chewy bites of soup. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> because Wallace chooses soup in this movie. I know, so ick. Um, so I guess I guess that kind of just leaves uh, uh Anna. Why don't Why don't you uh, uh plug yourself? Yeah, I haven't. I have another podcast called Oh No with Anna Campion. We're on all the uh, various streaming platforms. We're based on Anchor, um, and we're on Instagram and Twitter at Oh No the Pod. I am on Twitter at I am the champion and I am on letterboxed at Anna camps three, three, um, I believe. Uh, and, um, yeah, I'm also on movie babble. I write movie reviews for movie babble. Um, so, uh, I, I'm posting stuff on there a fair amount. Um, and yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, B and I co-host, uh, Fresh from the Margins, which is, which is a weekly new releases podcast. Uh, and I think it's pretty okay. No, it's, it's good. It's a good podcast. (laughs) We dis we disagree a lot. And, and I, I, um, and I think I think that's that's healthy. Um, is to have <laughs> yeah, I think to, so. Too. Do, we did disagree very vehemently about finding Ohana and in and of itself, which yes, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much more we could have we we could have talked about and talking about how the director has uh, uh is almost like a doctor or a priest and how that connected to in and of itself. And Andre's talking about that, and we could have. Oh my god, that's about so show weird. Versus you're, tell. Oh my god, that's so weird. You're cutting out. Just it's like so Nomadland. Oh well, well. Well, you're cutting out. Anyway, I'm going through a tunnel. All right, but uh, I'll just okay. So I'll I'll just wrap up quickly. Uh, you can find me on twitter letterboxd at blue gray closet um you can find us the screens margins available on all platforms uh and, and if you can't find us on a platform just tell us and we'll figure out how to get there um we have a patreon uh patreon.com screens margins where in addition to uh, a weekly uh podcast about frederick wiseman and a weekly new releases podcast we have podcasts about rainer Werner fassbender and dorothy arzner and uh, lucrecia martel it's all this these deep dives into cinema that not as many people know about trying to make them more mainstream and accessible and it's just through a very slow he's very good at overcommitting themselves oh yeah no i'm telling last night i was just sobbing because i had i literally filled a legal pad of notes and i was trying to compile them into this big outline and it's just like it was I had been doing this for hours and I got to midnight and I still had five pages of just solid notes to compile. And I'm just like, I put this is so stupid. I have, You're doing too much. Yeah. And so I'm very thankful. But that's OK. That after the, the next few days that I, I, I will be on my own schedule as to when I can edit this this these podcasts and that I can just go back to only doing five podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Um, but yeah, no we, we do a Anyhow. lot of work. We do a lot of work at the screen's margins, and I think it's I think it's good work. And so, yeah, check agree. us out if you feel like it. I would agree. But uh, with that, um, 
Yeah, I'm not going to do the regular outro, so I'll just I'll just say. Uh, well, thanks, Critical uh, Acclaim evening. Network, for oh, having yeah, us on. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, Bibbs and Whitney for for this opportunity and yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, uh, good evening and and good night.